we're taking a look at all the tooling that's been built up for web developers over the last 10 years and questioning it and pretty radically simplifying it. We're the anti-bundler that still does some bundling. Really what we're getting at is the requirement to have a bundler. We don't think it should be required for beginners, for anyone. If you want something that's lower tooling with a faster iteration that's essentially doing less, that's the idea that we're building towards. We see this as being the way we'll all be doing web development in the next couple of years. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Fred Schott. Hey, Fred, you want to say hi? Hey, everyone. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. You're coming all the way, like, I guess, what is it, seven, eight miles away, uh, all the way in San Francisco <laughs> from me? Yeah, yeah. It's a radical technology here to connect two people from, from such a far distance. Yeah, yeah. So, Fred, I've been noticing this GitHub repo that I've seen like people tweet about and people have been using it. It's the uh, Pika package. Is it, did I get that name correct? Yeah, that's our org, and then we have a few different projects within that. Okay, can you just explain what you do, um, sort of how you got into the space, and then we can sort of talk about the org and then the projects inside of it? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, this is uh, essentially my full-time kind of uh, focus right now, so it's a, a project that's near and dear to my heart. Essentially what we're doing is we're taking a look at all the tooling that's been built up for web developers over the last 10 years and questioning it, and where we can, pulling it apart, ripping it out, and pretty radically simplifying it. Wow, and you said full time. So, are you taking like sponsorship dollars, or are you like self funding your your lifestyle while you're doing this open source work? A little bit of everything right now. We have a Patreon community of people um, essentially supporting the project, supporting the work. I've done consulting work, just you know things to kind of pay the bills. I only really started this full time, I'd say, back in June of last year. So, fairly recent still, although I guess that's coming up on a year. Awesome. We can shift gears and talk about the the Pika org and why it's an org and like how big is the team? Is it just you working on it? You're taking a bunch of open source contributions? Like how's this working for you? Yeah, so I can give the history of how it all started, which I think kind of just paints the picture of where we are today. Yeah, that'd be great. This really started by looking at one technology specifically called uh, ESM. So if you're familiar with that, that's like in JavaScript, it's the import statement or the export statement. Five years ago, it was fairly new. I think it was finally spec'd out. In the browsers, you know, in the first browsers, essentially shipping support for this back in 2015, 2016. But uh, today, it's a pretty common part of JavaScript development where you import a dependency or import another file using this uh, statement in JavaScript. Actually, that one word really solves a ton of huge problems that up to this point, we've essentially used tooling to solve for us. So this idea of importing code in the browser, you know, this was something that really we'd always gone to build time tools to solve. So if you're familiar with Webpack, Parcel, you know, Rollup, uh, Next.js, all these different tooling frameworks. At their core, what they're doing is letting you build an application that then they can essentially kind of bundle all together and ship to a browser that up until 2015, 2016, had no way to load code on its own as a JavaScript application. So this is a really kind of fundamental technology that to us as developers is just this kind of, you know, one-line word that you end up importing your code with. But at its core, it's really unlocking the browser to do some really powerful stuff. Yeah, like I'm familiar with the, the ES modules and then um, all the other tools like to do that. Like, 
I did not start my career in JavaScript. I started my career on a server-side language, uh, Ruby. Sure. And so everything just sort of like just worked. Um, <laughs> but when I got to JavaScript and got to Node, and thinking that I could just like work at the time it was like require this and require that, yeah. And then the import statements started coming in, and like how you bundled your JavaScript was like different in different situations. I didn't understand those like. I still today to this day don't understand when I would choose one or the other, other than like bundle size. So, am I understanding correctly that you saw that the import statement and you have a project like within the Pika org that solves that problem? Yeah. So I'd say that was really how we came to really. I'd say the core of what we're doing is exploring that technology and then building different tools or different features around how you can leverage that technology today to. Increase your developer productivity, increase your site speeds. Um, really, kind of anything goes. The background there is just that, you know, on its surface, it sounds like one of those things where what's that famous comic where it's you know, fifteen different standards. We should really create a new one that solves all these problems, and now you have sixteen competing standards. Yeah, a great example of that is is what we're looking at, where it sounds like just another standard, but really what it is, it's letting the browser do this work natively. So unlike every solution that comes before it, it's letting the browser. Do what the browser has been doing for you know 20, 30 years now, which is loading your dependencies for you, loading files, prioritizing, caching. So it really unlocks a lot of cool technology. And then essentially our projects, um, Snowpack is a really interesting one that we can talk about. Essentially lets you replace the bundler in your application and really speed up your dev flow, your dev uh, iteration speed by not having to do all this work that Webpack is doing today. Okay, I know... Webpack is, I mean, it's a big project as these days. I've been using Webpack since almost the beginning. And uh, yeah, it's amazing how many things you can do with it now. So as an alternative, Snowpack is alternative to Webpack. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, more or less. Okay. Yeah, it's funny though, because it's like we're the anti-bundler that still does some bundling. So it's like we get to be you know, kind of playful and that we get to challenge the status quo and say, you know, you don't need a bundler for most of what you're doing. But if you really peek under the covers, we're powered by Rollup, which is another popular bundler. So Yeah, which is also yeah. super lightweight as well. Yeah. So I've been doing these live streams on Twitch slash Periscope. I've been restreaming them multiple places trying to figure out where's the best place to do it. But regardless, I was doing a live stream earlier today where I was building a GitHub action. And the question came to bundling your node modules, because you're gonna have a couple different modules to make your action work the GitHub API. So you bundle it, and I was using a tool that Zite put out with NCC. Mm-hmm. Not even sure what that stands for, but is is that also similar? Like, do you have a solution that's similar to that where you bundle the bundled versions of your packages? Yeah, so I'd say all of these tools, NCC, um, there's a few other are tackling yeah the idea of bundling code, taking a lot of files and bringing them into one. So for GitHub Actions, right, that's that's to get around their limitation where it kind of needs to all be in one file. The web is an interesting place for this problem because. It's essentially a requirement, just like it is for GitHub Actions, that you bundled up until this technology existed. So I give a talk where we kind of explore the history of that. But really, the story is just that when Node and NPM got so popular, if you go back even before that, there wasn't actually that much bundling going on in development. It was kind of seen as this a production time tool. So you would essentially be iterating in development. You'd you know, make a change, and you'd see it reflected in the browser. You'd be dealing with individual files. And then in production, to get around essentially limitations in the network. You'd run a, a bundler, you'd, you'd concatenate all your files together. It was this really naive solution compared to what we have today. But NPM becoming such a popular network of code, you know, this was a great thing overall, but the one sort of concession that web developers made when we joined that network of code is that now you were relying on code that couldn't run without a bundler. So bundling around that time shifted from a nice-to-have production optimization 
to a like required at every step of development tool. So the reason you know Webpack is so popular, you know, it does a lot of things for you, but it also is a required part of development. Yeah. If you make anything required, it's going to be you know popular and and uh, well supported. Yeah, and I'm curious, like with your experience on the bundle, like I guess the bundler, not bundler side, and the build side, that um, the way the browser works today, like so, what was it, six months ago, nine months ago, Edge started being built on Chromium, if I understand correctly. Right. So now you have like Edge and Firefox, all sort of similar, but then you also have Safari doing its own thing. Like, how do you feel about now that everybody's now bundling their code and it, it's working? Like, is that just to solve the problem where you don't have to worry about legacy browsers and worry about different flavors or different platforms? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely kind of an undercurrent or maybe like a tailwind happening right now underlying all of this, which is that every browser now, I think, is evergreen, where even enterprise customers are upgrading really rapidly. So Chrome, Edge, they basically tell you know even these large customers, we don't support past you know a few versions. Compared to the IE model, where it's like, no, as long as you're on Windows XP, we'll support this forever. And then the entire web is stuck supporting you know, IE 6 until the end of time. Thank God those days are behind us. But yeah, that's the, the interesting thing is that the web platform itself is becoming more modern. So features and, and uh, new technologies are able to kind of make their way into the mainstream much faster. That's really what we're taking advantage of right now. What we're exploring is this idea that you can start to leverage this new technology in production, which... Again, we all write imports, we write exports, we're doing that at development, but the shift is actually thinking of that as a production-level step as well. Um, shipping that code to the browser now that it can understand it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm curious, Like, I build my functions before I ship them over to AWS or to Lambda itself. So it is, do you also have a tool, or is it, is it Snowpack, or is it something similar to compile stuff to be ready for other platforms that aren't web? Yeah, so here's the, the, the magic of it all, um, is that by using this technology, you can essentially, so using ESM and using Snowpack to help, what we do is we, we relook at this problem, right? We're challenging old assumptions. What we see is we say, okay, bundling was taken as this requirement to work with NPM code. Um, it was to get around this limitation where the code on NPM wouldn't run in the browser without a bundler. Um, it was written for Node, it had all these Node-isms. So bundling became a required step no matter what level of development yeah. you're at. Now that we have ESM, we can start to revisit that question, which is that I actually now have a way to write my application in a way that doesn't need a bundler. So again, you're using functions or GitHub Actions. That's the requirement of the platform that you use a bundler. The web actually doesn't have that requirement. It's just, it's, we've had that requirement based on the code we're using, not on the platform, if that makes sense. So now that we have ESM imports, the browser doesn't require bundling anymore. And we're kind of free of that requirement, but we still use it anyway. What Snowpack lets you do is it says, okay, you have this technology, you can write your application in a certain way that you no longer need to bundle. You can essentially write your code, deploy it to the web, and it'll just run in the browser. The only problem still is that, right, that NPM ecosystem, it's a, a slower moving animal. It's, uh, you know, millions of, is it over a million now? A million packages? It's some huge number of packages. Yeah. What Snowpack does is it takes that bundling solution, but it just applies it to your dependencies. So essentially, another way to think about it is it's like an NPM install for web developers. It takes dependencies and gives them to you in a way that will run in the browser natively. So now you have this ESM technology, you use it to write your web application, and you just run Snowpack once, essentially as your install step, to give you dependencies. So now all of a sudden you don't need a bundler that is running every time you hit save, it has to pull in all this code and rebundle and reship it. You get a much faster development experience and a much simpler one as well. Okay, so you're saying that, uh, so like normally I would run, well, in my NPM run build, like normally that's running Webpack. 
So you're saying just by having it installed in my package.json, it's going to have that bundle for me? Or do I explicitly run like a Snowpack CLI command? Yeah, it's even cooler. When you build your site, you don't need to run a bundler, is what we're saying. Gotcha. So essentially, we move that tooling to the install step. npm install, run that, and then run Snowpack once. And then now you have your dependencies, they're ready to go. So you work on your code, you ship it to the browser, it uses these dependencies that you installed with Snowpack. Okay. And essentially, you're good to go. Every change you make happens on the file system that the browser understands. Yeah, that's great. So you pull out a whole class of tooling. Yeah, I'm a fan. Because I think some of the things I'm challenged with is when I approach web development to a newbie or a beginner, a lot of times you have to skip a bunch of steps. So like I did a tutorial, a Jamstack tutorial a couple years ago, like 2017, and I was trying to show one of our event managers who just wanted to learn how to code a couple weeks ago. I was like, hey, I built a tutorial. See if you if you go through it, will it work for you uh, three years later? And he's like, yeah, I got stuck on this like, like I'm getting... NPM errors or something, and I was like, "Oh yeah, you have to hit NPM install." Yeah, and he's like, "Okay, that works." But I'm also getting this other thing. It's so like teaching someone who just wants to move JavaScript around or even just HTML around. Like, there's too many steps to get to that point. So if you're saying if you just hit the install step, or like if you do like a magic button where you clone, install, build into like a code sandbox or whatnot. It's like the best of all worlds, and we could just move move on and solve other problems. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's this we're really failing beginners right now, especially where you know with the web specifically. What I fell in love with was this idea that you could just write some code and, and deploy it, and really visually see the things you were working on. Um, it was this really nice iteration, this feedback that you got really quickly. If you read a beginner's tutorial or really any tutorial today, it says install this, install this, run this, set this up. Or you then have to find a create React app or a code sandbox. You know, those are good solutions where they essentially abstract that complexity for you. But that complexity is still there. You know, you, you spin up a create React app, and I think you start with 200 megabytes of dependencies. Yeah, essentially 1,200 different packages. Like something's going to go wrong. Something's going to get out of date. You're going to get errors, and you're you know, as a beginner, especially, you're in the worst position to understand how to solve those on your own. So we're really setting up people for failure instead of success. I guess maybe you, you laid it out pretty well. Like, why would you use Snowpack over something else out of the box? Uh, maybe it's an inertia, but I'm curious, like, what are the, the different audiences that you're seeing or users that you're seeing that are attracting themselves to something like a Snowpack? Like, is there a certain thing that I need to be thinking about or some sort of ceiling I'm hitting with uh, something like a Webpack? Yeah. I'd start off by saying that we see this as being the way we'll all be doing web development in the next couple of years. So it's a pretty bold idea that we see as being you know, so compelling at its kind of core surface um, as an idea. You know, we see this not going away anytime soon. Snowpack then becomes our kind of bridge to get there. Today, I'd say yeah, beginners, it's a great way to get started just because you run npm install, you run Snowpack, and now you are essentially editing code and seeing it directly reflected in the browser. No tooling, no build step required. From there, it just becomes about what are you interested in. If you love tooling, if you love the idea of just like a huge tooling setup that's just everything you want to do, a tool is there to help you out, you know, maybe a bundler actually is exactly what you want. Really what we're getting at is the requirement to have a bundler. We don't think it should be required for beginners, for anyone. If you want something that's lower tooling with a, a faster iteration that's essentially doing less every time you hit save, then that's the idea that we're building towards. And that's what Snowpack helps you do today. That's awesome. An interesting kind of part is, you know, what does a bundler do today that is, is magic, that is more um, maybe not allowed by the web platform? One of those things is, you know, importing CSS or images in your JavaScript itself. 
there are some things like that where that's actually never been a standard thing. The bundler introduced that idea, not the platform of the browser. So there's some things that you kind of have to revisit when you're building without a bundler. When you're building code that actually needs to run on the web directly, you need to start looking at runtime solutions or um, you know just different Babel, essentially different solutions that aren't just you know import CSS. Yeah, I think the the CSS question or conversation has gotten really interesting in the last couple of years as far as web developer goes. And uh, like I'm, I'm a fan of style components, but it's I'm not even sure if it's just inertia at this point. Yeah. Of I learned it early enough, and same thing with Webpack. I learned it early enough. I've benefited from knowing it in my career for the past five years, and I'm good. But if I want to teach my son, who maybe want to learn how to start programming in the next couple of years, like he's sort of out of luck unless he is ready to like really figure out this thing and why this is, works this way. And I, I, I don't want to talk too negative about Webpack because they've, they've come a long way as far as like abstracting things and making it less hectic and complicated. But also, there is a lot of complication when it comes to looking at plugins and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, just to be clear, Webpack is an incredibly impressive program. Yeah, it's the requirement for it that we're really addressing and really tackling. That everyone needs to use a tool. You know, that's that's no longer the case. It, it was, and and Webpack served that need beautifully. But we're now in a different era. The platform has upgraded, and yeah, we can start to revisit that assumption. So you're at this point. You're working. I guess you're going to coming up on a, a year of doing this full time. What's next for the Pika package, org, and Snowpack? Yeah, that's a that's a fun part about getting to do this and really taking a look at a larger technology as we kind of just get to constantly ask that question and uh, constantly try different directions. I'd say there's two things we're focused on right now today. One of them is getting our package editor open sourced. So back in December, I think it was, we announced a code editor for packages. So this idea that NPM makes it really difficult to build a good package. It's this kind of like open canvas, which is great for flexibility, but what you end up with then is an ecosystem where everyone's doing something in a different way. Someone's shipping TypeScript, someone's shipping uh, CoffeeScript, someone's architected their package this way or that way. It's kind of a mess once you start to peek under the surface. And by no fault of any developers, just because there's so much freedom, you end up with an ecosystem that's very kind of wild west. One of the things we looked at was how can you actually build into a code editor itself this opinionated package structure that does a lot of the work for you. So TSDX is a great example of an open source project doing this today, but we take that idea a step further where we set up a project for you in an editor itself. Um, so you can see live demos, you can see your test run, you can see um, documentation get generated on the fly as you edit, all tied into the development experience. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, problem to solve too as well. And I, I, I always have the same issue of updating my node releases and packaging that and like even like the disconnection, like I know the announcement of NPM and, and GitHub's uh, acquisition was announced a couple weeks ago, but it's still in progress. So who knows where we'll be in six months? But just getting your a new version or a new Simver version of your release, yeah. There's all these different steps. I know some people are using automations and um, other tools to basically adding different words to your commits, like chore or fix or whatnot, and that's sort of like. Acts with like the CI and makes stuff this stuff work like magically, yeah. but like there's no consistency. And like I spent a couple years not working on a full time project, so when I go to a project that actually is doing something consistent, I'm I'm completely lost. Even though it makes sense to everybody else, <laughs> right? So I've had opportunity to work in some open source projects where they're just adding all these like prefixes to their commits, and I have no idea. Yeah. So like when you talk about having structured like editing with packages, and I think there's a benefit there too as well when you start thinking about. You had mentioned it, testing, uh, where it truly comes to mind. So if I want to test like 0.1 to 0.10 or 12.1 or whatever, all those different versions, 
at least in my mind, I can know when I'm testing it, there's a consistent way of way that how it's been packaged as opposed yeah. to like, you know, we did stuff way different back then. Like there's no consistency or whatnot. Yeah, it's a constant struggle of, of the internet, right? Where everyone wants the freedom to do whatever they want. But then when you look at that holistically, um, with no guardrails, you end up with, you know, on the surface, what looks like a mess. And if you're trying to move from project to project, it's new standards, it's new patterns. So yeah, yeah, it's where do you draw the line between everyone wants the freedom to do it? It's open source, we're all doing it for fun. But then, you know, how do you draw that line of adding intentional stability to the platform? Yeah, and that's what I like about projects that already adopt things like Prettier and whatever linters and then enforce that at the time of either save or at the time of when you open up the PR, like touch the code how you want it. Like I'll learn eventually how to make this the proper way, but I don't want to constantly hit my head against the ceiling every time I try to ship a very small change and then I have like a weird like ESLint thing. Every time. <laughs> Do you have a name for that yet? I think we just call it code or like editor. It's kind of like Pika editor. So we're, we're still trying to figure out what that gets named. Snowpack is a great example. We just called it like web installer, I think, at the time. And then we pulled it out from the org, gave it its own name. We'll probably do something similar with a package editor when we open source it. Awesome. Yeah, so that's, I'd say that's our kind of focus number one. Number two is just taking this idea of, you know, Snowpack does a great job of painting this world you can join when you throw out your tooling. You get this, you know, tooling-free, tooling-light development workflow that's just faster for everything. It's a little simpler. Um, you know, we're big fans of it, obviously. We're also looking at our CDN as a way to start to bring those advances to traditional bundled sites as well. So back in August, we launched a CDN, um, essentially every NPM package hosted as an ES module. So no matter how the package is written, again, you know, you can tell there's there's some similarities here where every package is written differently, which is essentially what the bundler is doing. It's converting those all into a standard pattern that runs on the web. Our CDN does something similar. It takes every package and hosts it in this one unified format. So you can import any package from our CDN. Use that import statement. Use that ESM import statement. We see that actually having, a, again, it's a, it's a simple one-line kind of one-word solution that actually has a huge impact on how web applications can be architected. Essentially, what does web development look like when you no longer have to bundle all of your dependencies into your application? When you can just deploy the code that you wrote and then build on top of a CDN like that, where every dependency is hosted, optimized, um, cached really well. Um, we're trying to build out this, this foundation that you can build on top of that's really fast and really stable. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing what you produce and uh, what comes out of the org, and I will definitely give it a follow. And uh, actually, I'm planning on probably trying Snowpack for some of my smaller projects uh, and giving my hands wet on that. Oh, definitely. Or I guess my hands cold on that. I'm not sure if I should <laughs> lean into the, the naming. How um, long have you been saving that joke up? You know, I, I had to find the right time. You know, and it's uh, <laughs> it comes with class. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a dad for no reason. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, on that note, I was curious about the the logo, the the mascot uh, for the Pika package. I'm like staring at it this this entire conversation. What's the story behind that? Pika, the name just comes from this dumb alliteration of Pika and package. Pika package. Pika package. This and that. The logo is just a so Pika is a type of mouse. It's uh. small. It's fast. The logo um, is just a mouse. Okay, it's a playful mouse. It's kind of a fun open source vibe. Uh, that's what we're going for. Gotcha. And uh, I like I do like the name Snowpack though. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so definitely lean into that. If you do any uh, any conference talks, to expect a full full garb as if you were <laughs> scaling Everest. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. 
All right. On that note, I do want to transition us to the picks. So these are jam picks, things that we're jamming on. Could be music, food related, uh, could be technology related. We chatted about this off air earlier, but uh, if you don't mind, I'll go first and I'll give you some time to prep your thoughts. My first pick is going to be sourdough brownies. Podcast listeners know I've been working with bread for the past year now, since my daughter was born. I just had this opportunity and a lot of free time during my paternal leave to learn how to make a sourdough starter. So I have that. And uh, I've been now, since we've been like forced quarantine and sheltering in place, uh, I've been making bread a lot. And I live walking distance to a Trader Joe's and a uh, Safeway. So there's like a limit of one bag flour uh, per visit. <laughs> and uh, not, I'm not like not as bad as toilet paper. I am grabbing my one rationed bag of uh, flour every time I go, but I, now I have like five of them on top of my fridge. So I'm looking for other ways to make, make bread uh, and sourdough specifically. So I'm looking forward to, actually got batter going right now and uh, I'll have uh, sourdough brownies tonight. So uh, I'll report back on Twitter. That sounds fantastic. I yeah. had the exact opposite experience where I made bread once, nailed it, and now every time I try, it actually is worse and worse and worse. I don't know if I just got too cocky, too confident. I have no idea what it is, but I'm... I'm yeah, you should have just quit while you're ahead. <laughs> no, do the one and then that's it. I'm never doing it again. That's how I fill with CSS animations. <laughs> My other pick was uh, one blog. So I've had Sean Grove on about, uh, talking about one graph. So it's like, a, it's like a one-stop solution for your GraphQL APIs. Just APIs in general. And they just came out with a new tool, which is one blog. It's still pretty much alpha. Um, they're still working on it. But they gave me early access and told me about it. And uh, I've been using it for my streaming site, which is mutualfun.live. Essentially what it does is it makes your GitHub issues into a blog. So every time I open up an issue and attach the publish ta- uh, label on there, it actually published a post to your, your one blog. So oh, cool. I'm very excited. It's uh, built on top of Razzle, which is a... Um, it's built on that's built on top of Create React app, which uh, if you know what React is, so it's like just a light, a light solution on top of Create React app. Yeah, I'm super pleased with it. I'm looking forward to actually playing with it this weekend. So that's it for me for picks. Fred, you got some picks? Yeah, I have one. We are throwing a conference, so there are you know obviously it's a lot going on right now. Not a lot of traveling, not a lot of conferences happening, but we're trying to look at this as a opportunity to explore what a remote conference looks like. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we launched ES Next, which is a fully remote conference. It acts a lot more like a film festival. So we're trying to follow that model where way fewer talks spread out over more days. Oh, I like that. Um, I think the website URL is esnextconf.com. It's five days, 12 talks. By the time you're hearing this, I hope we will have announced the uh, speaker list. And all proceeds go to uh, coronavirus research, fighting the fight. The WHO has a great fund for that, and we are fully supporting that with um, all ticket proceeds going towards that. Uh, I like that. I like the idea of actually, since we're already sit, sitting at home, spreading it across five days, uh, and you, you said the, or what was it? Like a film festival? Film festival, like yeah. A, like, or like a South by Southwest. I, I always get so overwhelmed when there's an online conference and it's like back to back to back for like three days. Yeah, it's eight hours straight, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, no one has time for that. I, I certainly don't. No, you end up just going to one talk yeah. and maybe hanging out in the chat. But I think I'll figure out how to do remote conferences now since I'm going to be remote. Yeah, well, hey, if you're interested in giving a talk, uh, I see you already have the green screen. We're shipping a uh, microphone and a video camera to every speaker and a green screen. So you might not need that, but I'd love if you could give a talk. Excellent. I actually, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I might actually drop a, uh, a CFP down there. Oh, that'd be awesome. I will definitely be attending. I'll find time in one of the five days to catch one of the talks. We were toying out the idea 
of doing a conference and feel free anybody to steal this. Do a conference, but instead of have like talks back to back, like as as we had mentioned, this is not like it's more of like a marathon at that point. But instead, have like a live DJ play remotely and then have the chat going. I so it feels that. like you're at a party. <laughs> so feel free to if you want to find someone. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of music, but I would go to that. That's um, really cool. Just chat with a bunch of devs while music's being played. Nice. So Fred, thanks for coming on to the podcast, talking about the Pika package. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 